new risque malware, an election app nightmare that's not the one you're thinking about, and guest Liz Wharton regales us with tales of a ransomware attack and takes us into the new reality of facial recognition. All on this episode of Mistaken Identity. On a quick programming note, uh, regular listeners to Mistaken Identity may know that we often have you know, news items and headlines from the past week or month, uh, just depending on how long it's been since our last podcast. Um, many of you have really enjoyed those segments, and we've spun off that weekly news feature, a summary of the top three or four stories each week, into a brand new podcast. And you've kind of heard that process of birthing, if you will, the past couple episodes. Um, And we're calling it Trust Issues. And it's hosted by the talented duo of Hannah Giles and Natalie Reyna. And they'll join us here on Mistaken Identity uh, to bring highlights from the past fortnight of news, the past two weeks to those of you in the US. Um, and joining me actually this morning already are said news team, Hannah Giles and Nellie Reyna, with a couple highlights from the past couple weeks. Thanks for having us, Mike. Hannah, you want to get us started? I can do that. And I have to start with a question first. What would you be willing to give up if your data was being held ransom and you were being asked for something in exchange to get your data back? There'd be, there'd be some limits. I mean, I don't really feel like I have a lot of stuff that... So what you're saying valuable. is you would not necessarily pay a ransom. Uh, I'll get to the point. The story that caught our attention this week is one that is a, it's a ransomware um, attack that requests um, NSFW photos of people in exchange for their data. Right. Is this a common thing? Is this new? So this is just one of many ransomware stories. We see it all the time. This was just one of the more recent ones. And they did say that it might, MCSoft, the firm that discovered this, said that it's probably a prank. If you go and look at it, you know, you can do that on your own time. But if you go and look at the MCSoft page, they do show, and it looks very elementary, and it's it's pretty funny, It actually. But... Uh, the point is, there's so much ransomware, and well, you know, the human body has been currency forever. Yeah, so Natalie, what caught your eye this week? This next story out of Israel, we have some interesting news there. They actually had an elector app that was used by Benjamin Netanyahu's party in Israel that was hacked and exposed the voting data of 6.5 million Israelis. Can you believe that? How many people are in Israel? Great question. Eight million. Okay. This falls into the department of not so good, I feel like. Definitely not. No, this is definitely a hit, especially because Israel's considered, you know, they want to consider themselves one of the top cybersecurity countries in the world. And to have a hit of that magnitude, especially with the election coming up in March, it's just not a good look. Do we have more detail on how it worked? So there's two, um, they call themselves activist hackers in Israel. And they said that they got a anonymous tip that this Elector app had vulnerabilities. And so they were able to download. It was their names and phone numbers. And they were also able to see comments from 
people running election sites that were saying, hey, these people will vote for our party. These people won't. So they were able to see a lot of like different kinds of information. So this this sounds more okay. Caveat, caveat. This sounds more dangerous or damaging than what we saw in Iowa a few weeks ago. Please elaborate. Well, I think it was like um, I believe the Iowa debacle, as I'm suddenly calling it was not so much a hack of personal data, and it wasn't even a, a corruption of the election process per se. In other words, it wasn't someone breaking into a ballot box. It wasn't changing of results. What it was was a failure in the app to actually allow precinct people who are running the caucuses to actually report results back in the headquarters. Mm-hmm. So then they resorted to trying to do phone using the phone to call in to report them, but the lines were flooded at that point. So this sounds, do you think it's fair to say this sounds significantly worse than than just an app? I think whenever you have people's political affiliations on blast, plus their name, phone numbers, I think that's definitely not. But the kicker here is that when Hannah and I recorded our podcast, this was only a one-time deal. And the company, the app said, yes, this was a one-off incident. It's been fixed. But there was a second breach, not even within a span of a week later. So this t- this second breach involved source code and the two activist hackers in Israel were saying how this app is just totally flawed and should not be used. Thanks, Natalie and Hannah. And if you enjoyed hearing about these stories, be sure to subscribe to their new news-based podcast called Trust Issues. In just a few short minutes, you can catch up on the most important security-related headlines from the week. Available now on Spotify and iTunes. Well, our guest today is Elizabeth Wharton. We'll call her Liz because that's what she goes by. Um, She is currently the chief of staff at Scythe, where she serves as a strategic advisor. And prior to that, she served as the VP of operations and strategy at a company called Prevalian. Um, And before that, even, she served as the senior assistant city attorney with the city of Atlanta, responsible for advising Hartsfield-Jackson-Atlanta International Airport on technology and drones and a whole host of other things. Uh, Liz, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Mistaken Identity. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I swear I did not try to make my bio quite such a mouthful. Oh, well, it was... It's a good linguistic challenge. I mean, it, I like to give background, and really, I had to kind of work all the way back to Atlanta because that's kind of the first thing I wanted to talk about anyway. I think uh, when we were together at, what, Tactical Edge in Columbia uh, a couple months ago, I heard you talk a little bit about um, the Atlanta uh, ransomware incident of 2018, I think it was. Uh, could you? What was your role during that? So there's the official role, and then there's the uh, you know the best laid plans. Everyone thinks they know exactly what's going to happen in an emergency, and then it you know 
the proverbial stuff hits a proverbial fan. So uh, technically I was the senior attorney tasked to the airport. So I was with Department of Aviation handling their technology projects and policy. But it helps when you're one of, if not the only attorney in the Department of Law who had a background, I mean, 15 years of working with hackers and researchers came in handy. So it, it really, it was fun uh, or it made for an interesting time, but I was called out of a lunch meeting. It basically told, uh, we need you in the mayor's, you know, the executive offices uh, in the next 30 minutes at uh, no questions asked, go. And so that began really a 72 hour, if not two week mad dash for the immediate incident response. Wow. I mean, that's, that's kind of an all hands on deck uh, kind of thing. And you, y'all were trying to prevent in real time uh, the, the malware from spreading and trying to isolate networks. Is that what I remember you were talking about before? Well, yes. And the particular, the specific variant that was hitting Atlanta systems was uh, SamSam. And really what happens is that it's it's a dynamic uh, variant and means that it's not static. It's not sitting there. It's worming its way, weaseling its way as fast as it can through the network and the systems. And when you think about all that goes through Atlanta. I mean, we can make jokes about uh, how sports championships never go through Atlanta, but uh, you have the world's busiest airport and that is owned and operated by the city of Atlanta. You have a watershed department that is providing uh, basic services for, you know, city of Atlanta and surrounding areas. So you've got a couple million people depending on that. And then you've got the city itself, which is a logistics transportation hub and home to you know, a couple million residents within the entire like metro region, providing services and all of that. So when you look at all that happens and how you can't go down, so to speak, mm-hmm. we were it one case, I mean, truly pulling wires out of the wall for a system that was on both the Department of Aviation as well as the city's network. Well, so you're pulling network cables out of Mm -hmm. walls. Yeah, no, I mean, picture the scene from uh, the movie Airplane where the gentleman sitting there kind of like holding it like, (laughs) yeah, that there were a couple of times where it was like, what did we forget? Oh, fudge. Let's go get that. Wow. Like be handy to have a network map. It, it also reminds <laughs> me of Telefonica um, when uh, WannaCry was hitting their offices throughout the world and especially in Spain. And they actually got over the loudspeakers and basically told everyone to just pull the power plugs out of the back of their computers because they couldn't get them shut down quickly enough. Yeah. I mean, same kind of run down the hallway and do this. That's well, you could. It's exciting. It it was interesting because I was in Department of Law's offices, but again, I was on the airport network. But my colleagues in the offices around me, 
some of them were on city networks as well as the airport networks. And you could hear this like ripple going through the office as people were coming in in the morning, turning on their computers. And it admittedly, it even took me a second to realize what was what they were saying. And it, by then it's too late, but it's like, hey, did anyone else turn on their computer and see this? It's like, no, stop. Everyone <laughs> stop It's like, man, and, all the doors, the entry points, you know, right? make sure no one does anything. Uh, or colleagues who were working on uh, court pleadings and said, well, I had it on a thumb drive, but it was in my computer when I started it up. So therefore, oh, no. I was like, yeah, it's gone. It's, it's too late. Time to start over. It's almost like a... Um, wonder if I'm sure someone has has done a CDC study or something like that comparing spreads um, and techniques and similar situations or something like that. If not, watching a network map or something, I mean, almost like the Pew Pew Mm -hmm. maps, but as something spreads and give that, I mean, it would be a beautiful visualization so long as it's not happening to your systems. Oh, of course. And and easily, easily faked. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, Pupil Map's really popular and this could be, uh, this could be the next wave. Maybe we've hit it. Um, what surprised you um, the most about that experience? If you, if you think of one or, or a couple of things, was there anything that was like, wow, I had no idea it would be like this or something like that? You forget your reliance on just systems and it's, you think, oh, I'll just pull up this document or I'll just do X, Y, or Z. And then you realize, no, no, I can't. That database is no longer accessible. Or uh, printing for the love of uh, wires, <laughs> just we thrive on killing right. trees and printer cartridges. And uh, when you are truly having to go buy printers from, you know, Office Max or Staples or just to have it, okay, who really needs to print? Or one of the best lessons learned was uh, having a plan is fantastic, but having a plan that can be accessed offline if all your systems are down is even better. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Maybe there's a reason why they print out last wills and testaments. Yeah. As opposed to keeping them digitally, I guess. Because otherwise you wouldn't be able to to access it. So you were you were buying printers and basically keeping them isolated. Was it was there a danger of a printer being infected as well? Oh absolutely. Especially when you have people walking around with these uh before mentioned uh, thumb drives of, well, I'll just leave a document to this thumb drive and then go put the thumb drive in the printer. And I'm not kidding when I threatened to them, I said, folks, don't make me super glue uh, some of these, don't make me do this. But going back to, yeah, having a printed copy Or in my case, I had saved backups of some of the documents just because it's me and I'm, that's just my personalities. I want redundancies, but in the immediate aftermath, when I'm reviewing and having to create 
you know, non-disclosure agreements or get some statements of work out to vendors because we need them to be able to start working now. And I had a hard copy of something and could then just get it typed up or send it over to them, say, hey, here's here's the city's you know requirement for contract provisions. But and having that ready access, that was key. Yeah, it's really fascinating that emergency preparedness is not just digital, but it's also organizational and, and redundancy is important to build into process in general. I don't think I normally think about that. Yeah, or a phone tree. If you can't send, you know, if people can't turn on their devices, uh, how are you going to communicate to them, for example, uh, like, hey, we need you to do this, or we need, you know, uh, communicate between floors in the office. You know, suddenly everyone's pulling out their phones going, okay, we're just got to text message because I can't shoot you an email right now because our email's down. Right. Right. And even, and if that technology goes down, then, you know, real-time communication and real-time efforts are severely crippled, much like, you know, say caucus night election results. You know, <laughs> I run into some issues. Oh, so bad for those poll <laughs> workers. Oh my goodness. And everything like, it, yeah, yeah. yeah for those listening at home, I was obviously referring to the, the Democratic Iowa caucus, which at the time of this recording on February 5th, uh, occurred last night. So now that that's somewhat behind you, or at least is behind you because you're no longer working for Atlanta, <laughs> what, uh, did you have any like takeaway? And I don't necessarily mean, you know, businesses should do X, uh, but was there anything that, that you're like, I will, I've learned this lesson or I, I will ensure, maybe it's just reinforcement of what you're already doing. I- to some degree, it was. It was, you know, knowing, having a good assessment of, okay, what do I, what devices do I have connecting where? Like, kind of what to the extent you can ever control? Because let's be honest, it, there's stuff. Anytime I look at what's connecting to my home network, I'm like, that device is connecting? No way. <laughs> uh, but to the best I can, knowing knowing what my exposure is and knowing what what depends on what has been key and uh, i certainly still keep backups offline of different things and printed copies of important documents right no that that totally makes sense the there was a an article that came out recently because you know whenever anyone talks about ransomware you get the normal you know um, instant responses of, well, you should have a backup or, or whatever else. Um, there's a there's an article the other day I was reading that was arguing against ransom payments, which I've heard before, mm-hmm. basically claiming that, you know, paying it, you don't get your data back and it just fuels the criminals. Is that still the ongoing logic that you know of? Or, I mean, I, Baltimore, I think, you know, suffered an attack, but they... Okay. And for the record, I had nothing, just because I've lived in Atlanta... And I have lived in Maryland, uh, and they both suffered uh, <laughs> ransomware attacks. I had nothing to do with Baltimore. Uh, I was going to say, no, hmm. nope, nope, not uh, wasn't me. But and I, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have vehemently never, 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 never pay. But. 
it, I can understand why some small company, you know, smaller companies or someone to get access to data or document you know, patient records, et cetera. Right. But uh, understand that that doesn't mean you get to not, I mean, you still have to rebuild all of your systems, figure out where the breach was. Uh, right. So it's not a cost-saving measure. And right. It's the same way of doing backups doesn't mean you're going to be instantly back up either. Right. It's, it's, a, a, it's an ongoing process. And it's always defense in depth, I suppose. Well, and it's also going through like whether you can trust that data uh, that you that has those files that have been unlocked and whether they haven't been manipulated or, you know, or if the value is in just exposure. I mean, the trend I keep hearing about now as well pay us a million, you know, a million Bitcoin or whatever to return your files, pay us 2 million uh, to not leak the files that we had previously, or, you know, <laughs> to wipe our, right. our copy of them. And it, that was one of the things we had discussed and gone through the analysis and is whether a ransomware incident is a data breach. And I think everyone now has slowly realized, yeah, it probably has yeah, triggered. Exactly. But with each of the state, uh, talking you know, US centric, with different states having different approaches of what constitutes and et cetera, that's when it starts getting complicated fast. Right. Right. It's never, there's never an easy, easy, straightforward answer per se. It's always a combination of things. I suppose. I mean, ransomware is just going to keep on going for a while anyway. It's much like fishing and other things. You know, people need hobbies. That's fine. Exactly. Let's change change course a little bit now uh, from your past to more of your present. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the Twitterverse the other day and actually a couple days ago, and I didn't realize that you had a ShmooCon talk um, all about, what do you say, biometrics, facial recognition? I mean, I've yeah. only seen part of the slides. <laughs> Is that fair to say? I mean, there may have been a whole section I didn't get to see, so... Ah, yes. Well, shameless plug to keep an eye on ShmooCon's websites because they will post uh, videos from all of their talks. But yes, I talked a fellow attorney and data privacy expert, Suchi Pahi, into joining me and discussing. And really was a funny way that the talk ideas started. But yeah, we were discussing biometric and facial recognition that has become ubiquitous. Like Truly, you can go to the, when you go to the airport, uh, different airlines, your face becomes your, uh, your ticket. It also can be your passport. And you know, it kind of, like when we spoke at the conference down in Columbia, coming back in, they're somewhere customs and border patrol. They have some 
just horrific pictures of me not realizing the camera was clicking. Then going, you, you and me both with a hat, without a hat. And then I, the first time I did it, I, of course, I don't pay attention. I rolled up to the, the global entry thing, you know, and I, I was like waiting to put my passport in and it said, okay, go ahead. And I'm like, wait, what, what just happened? And you know, you get the receipt with your, your photo on it. And one hand, super convenient, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because yeah. it saved me time and I don't have to put in yes or no. I'm like, yeah, I never answer yes or whatever the wrong answer is to any of these questions. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, it's a federal government. They, yeah. you know, like any nation state, they're, they're going to have my stuff anyway. And when I, when I signed up in the first place, I gave them maybe not my face, but everything else. So that... I mean, there's a trade-off there somewhere. That doesn't bother me quite as much as other aspects. I don't I don't know. Well, what became disturbing to Suchi and I, where I had started looking as a com- uh, one of the companies I was working for was debating putting in a security system. And it just so happened that as debating the cameras, there in the news were uh, Home Depot and Lowe's have a couple of class action lawsuits right now dealing with their security cameras and their stores weren't just capturing, you know, oh, the shopper is going here. I mean, they were actually using facial recognition to track your movements, your habits, your patterns. And they were doing, they made the mistake of doing it in Illinois, which at the time it's the only state that has a comprehensive biometric uh, protection law. So not only do they have really? So you're, it's not allowed to record or what? which if, part of? Basically all of the above. If they're going to capture the biometric information, so not just recording, but actually analyzing your, your face print. But you okay. have to tell people coming into the store, hey, we're doing this. And this is what we're going to use it for. And this is what we are capturing. This is how long we're capturing it. This is how long we're storing it. This is who will you know, have access to it. And right. it, you know, you walk into Home Depot or Lowe's and they're not, it's not like there's this, you know, signed consent waiver when you enter the store. <laughs> right. Upon entering. It, right. Exactly. And then kind of so it, it starts snowballing from there of, well, what about this? What about that? And the joke being, are they going to pay for my nose job uh, if there's a breach? And what, right. it, you know. Because the idea is you can't change your biometrics, yeah. at least in part, right? No. Your face is your face. And if I have your face print, what all can I do? Can I unlock your, everything from unlocking your iPhone to, you? Know, hey, is this being, you? what else is this being used for? Can I get into you know, not only just the surveillance state where you start looking at other countries and protesters, but where are companies using biometric facial recognition? And one of the things we found in conducting our research, for example, is just the explosion of U.S. patent applications for uh, facial recognition technology. And I mean, it's just uh, like... So people... People patenting how they recognize faces? Oh, how they're using it, uh, the technology associated with it. But also one of the things that, of course, uh, Suchi pointed out, she said, what do they mean? Like there's been an explosion to in liveness 
detection. So is Ooh. it is it an active, you know, is it is it a static picture? Is it, you know, what other points and we're just kind of going, well, this is creepy and pulling up, you know, it, the sales of smartphones worldwide that include facial recognition technology components. And right. uh, as I have found out when I'm dressed for winter in Maryland, when all that's showing is like your glasses and your nose, maybe uh, facial recognition fails. My iPhone's not going to unlock. This was going to be one of my questions, mm-hmm. actually, because at DEF CON this year, the talk before mine was, um, oh, I can't remember her name now, um, a woman who was generating what she called adversarial fashion. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, I don't know if you remember it, but it was um, basically fooling uh, the license plate readers that are ubiquitous and red, stu- red, uh, red light cameras yeah. and all police cars. And so she would wear this outfit and it was um, you know, full of license plates that were triggering the cameras. So <laughs> the question to me is, is there a way, or did y'all think about, or is there a way to uh, confuse, bewilder, be adversarial against facial recognition? All of the above. And we're seeing, because of how the technology is based now, even with different kinds of makeup, uh, you can cause the light to refract in different ways. And one of our slides, and really the crux of what we were trying to highlight is that uh, kind of the garbage in, garbage out that the technology isn't there yet for the level of consistency for what it's being used for. And so we were trying to provide developers with things that, you know, watch your, me- watch your metrics, uh, watch your data sets. But one of the slides we have uh, shows, you know, at Paris Fashion Week or whatever, it was a, a mask that was nothing but, you know, I think in this case it was actually diamonds, but, you know, rhinestones, stuff like that, that what you can do, you have the stories of people 3D printing faces um, out of, and one person, it was encouraging protesters to hear 3D print my face, use my face at different uh, protests, in this case, specifically Hong Kong, that's one of the issues for the protesters. You'll see a lot of them trying to obfuscate uh, different parts of their face because, you know, maybe they don't want to be tracked. You know, the repercussions and where where is that information being kept? But where it also comes into play on, you know, not necessarily even intentionally trying to alter your face, uh, it's they get it wrong that studies have shown that at least without further improvement that uh, in August, 2018 studies showed that uh, darker complexioned females had almost a, an error rate, a misidentification or misclassification error rate of almost 35%. Uh, from Microsoft, IBM, Amazon, and Face++. So uh, if you're a lighter-skinned female, it's still the error rates were between uh, 5 to 
and forget like uh, basically females are coming out on the short end of this so training data and you know problems with with your data set problems with your algorithms it's you know there when you're relying on algorithms and ai machine learning and this kind of of technology it's always always so easy to say well because math yeah um and not realize you know the the web that book uh, weapons of math destruction for instance you know calls a uh, you know identifies a lot of this as well and that's so prevalent still and people don't examine it as deeply as maybe they should no it's just it's this reliance on well the technology is available so let's use it let's incorporate it into our product our platform without understanding the basis on which it was created and that's one of the things we call for is hey if you're creating this tell people where you what your data sets are tell people your margin of error and not because we're going to mock you, et cetera, but just so that we have that informed on the developer and engineering side, knowing what you're working with. Uh, my favorite slide, again, was the one where we had a tweet from Elon Musk, where you have to guess if it's a chihuahua or a blueberry muffin. Oh, that's right. The one where it's the yes, right. I'll have to get a picture up there someplace on the on the website for people to listen to the podcast, or I'll just direct them to your your presentation because it's that's a hilarious. Well, it's how, we call it puff, puppy in muffin out. You know <laughs> where they're going to go wrong because getting it when it's your airline ticket to suddenly trying to argue with the airline. No, no, it's me. I promise. Are you sure? Yes, it's me. I just I've. Do I look like a muffin? <laughs> exactly. Right, exactly. Uh, cool. uh, well, and that doesn't even get into, for example, uh, my mother through a car accident many, many years ago, uh, basically has only has two legible fingerprints on one of her hands. Uh, and to try to explain the poor woman when she went to renew, I think it was like her passport or something. And of course they kept asking, well, where you, you read fingerprints and she's like, look at my hand. I don't have fingerprints on those fingers. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? Exactly. Like, the next question has to be, are you the villain in a bank heist uh, movie? I mean, that's, right? isn't that what they used to do? Like file their fingerprints off so you don't have to wear gloves? Or? I mean, I, I told her this is a great retirement plan, perhaps. I mean, not as official legal advice, but, you know. You're like the three-handed bandit, three-fingered bandit, rather? Is that what you're... I mean, and one of the other scary things is you're seeing some of these, some of this technology being used in hiring, where people are using facial, uh, the cameras to determine, oh, well, are you actively engaged in the conversation oh, and trying to read your facial expressions? And I was saying, I thought, oh, great. Because I hate being on video call. So thank you for not having this show. Uh, <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, it, one, nobody knows if it's pants-free podcast day. Uh, but, right. I mean, all's fair in love and punk. Right. Uh, but what happens if perhaps your culture doesn't put about you express things or emote things differently, not through eye contact? Or you show deference right. to elders by not doing this. 
well, how does that get built into the hiring video chat? I mean, right. That's, that's kind of scary because I, I, I have, I have serious, uh, RBF at times when I'm concentrating on something untrue you're just focused exactly so you know or I may be rolling my eyes not at the interviewer or the just conversation but maybe I looked out the window and saw someone doing something like oh I can't believe it's raining they told me it wasn't going to rain today and suddenly I don't get the job because of eye roll (laughs) Right, right. And it's, I think I like that example because people can feel it intrinsically as opposed to saying, well, the mathematical, mathematical model will disenfranchise it if it's something as basic as how someone sits mm-hmm. or what their face looks like. People uh, recoil against that. I mean, it feels, it feels like a, a strong drift in the direction of like phrenology or, you know, criminals because of this cranial space or whatever, which, you know, is ridiculous. I mean, and I think you bring up a good point. I like the idea of um, trying to help people who are producing these solutions, these products, these offerings to think ahead about what they're producing before they even start. Um, I'm a little biased because I'm talking about it at RSA <laughs> um, in terms of trying to, uh, because I, I'm, keep in mind, I'm, there's been a lot of talk you know, about ethics and machine learning and, and this type of thing. And I'm not trying to to start that discussion, that discussion has been going on a long time. And uh, organizations like IBM and IEEE and all these groups have done a great job of creating um, <clears throat> frameworks and questions to ask. And so I'm just trying to advocate for taking a, another step in terms of, uh, of trying to give a, a simple analysis for it and using exploring some of the open source tools that, that um, I'm sure you're already aware of in terms of explainability and trying to reveal bias within some of the factors you're using. Cause a lot of times it's, it's not intentional. It may be replicating existing bias, but it's just, it's just latent. Um, so that's really fascinating though. It's, I can't believe that it's, it's even in just looking at people's behavior while they're sitting there. I mean, we all form opinions, but at least it's not mechanical or algorithmic, well, at least in the computer sense. And it's one thing, I mean, I have certainly for the 10, 12, okay, well, let's not do the math. For the ever <laughs> yeah, for the decade plus, I've, I've worked in uh, law firms. So, big international law firms to more mid-sized regional law firms. I helped, I was on the hiring committee or the recruiting committee for every single one of them. And it, yeah, there's, you do make judgments, you do put in your notes, you know, uh, different things, but it's one thing if it's my interpreter, interpretation based on the entirety. And in some cases I could just tell like, this is a brilliant individual, but they're nervous. Uh, and so I would try not to hold it against them or, okay, they were doing this. Yeah, I get it. The room was incredibly hot. I like stuffy. Yeah. There was a grass fire outside the window that may have been vaguely distracting. Exactly. But when you think of these snap decisions that are being made, taken out of context where you're taking the human element out of it without the full context. And 
it it really disadvantages i think too think of like in the technology industry there's in particular you have people who are absolutely brilliant but social interaction or you know, or they have something that prohibits perhaps they're on the spectrum and where it has nothing to do with their job and it has nothing to do with their ability to excel in the position but why are we tracking that i mean it it just immediately seems screams to me it's potentially discriminating against them right off the for, for sure it Right. It's triggering bias in ourselves, I would think. And so so where do we go from here, though? Like, and I'm not asking you to solve these <laughs> problems in 30. Give me a summary solution here, Liz. Now, um, you know, there, there's some benefit to sum up, right? There's some benefit to some of this facial recognition, ease of use and strolling through customs, maybe, if it's inevitable anyway. I mean, is there should we accept it and move on? I mean, is this the new normal? Like, should we be adversarial and wear face masks everywhere? Which I'm not sure even work. No, some of, them, willing to try. some of them don't. Um, you know, where I think it, where we try to start the conversation and it's, as you noted, parts, aspects of the conversation have been going on. This is nothing new, but really understanding what, like what these systems are, truly capable of doing the biases inherent in them and do better you know where we can fix things let's fix it if just being aware that you're doing it is enough but not relying on kind of the autonomous vehicles like oh i have a tesla therefore i don't have to put my hands on the wheel at all i can just go to sleep and but understanding no no we're not at level five autonomy now for these vehicles. We're at maybe a one or two pushing it. But once you know that you're like, all right, I understand the limitations or the expectations of what this can actually perform and reduce it. But I know where it's, it's responsibility ends and my begins in a way. Um, I think it's also, it's a, like any complex problem. There's, you know, two halves where one half is, making sure the producers and the promoters of these solutions or whatever are aware of it, but also awareness of normal people, um, which I may or may not include us in, but uh, people that, well, definitely not in this scenario, where I find a lot of my conversations about how people are tracked or how AI is used or facial recognition, people are shocked because they don't realize, they're not aware of what's going on. So kind of building that awareness, it's dual pronged in a way, mm-hmm. I feel like. But thanks for, for covering that in depth. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to have found something that was, you know, definitely recent <laughs> in the past week or so. Yeah, obviously know a ton about. That was super helpful. Um, I'd like to close um, with something I'm calling um, 10 questions, which is a misnomer, let's face it, because there's actually 11, but 10 question just sounds a lot better than 11, actually. Um, and the way this works, uh, Liz, is basically I will, this is kind of a rapid fire round in a way. Um, a lot of people think too, min- too much about these questions. They come from um, a French uh, journalist named Bernard Pivot. Do you speak French, by the way? Uh, a little. 
I would say I'm put, but uh, then somebody would really critique my accent. <laughs> I don't know how to say his name, so we'll just yeah. go with that, Pivot or something. I could, you know, flare it up. That's all right. Um, he used these originally in some of his interviews, and then if you are familiar with this series, uh, Inside the Actor's Studio, um, the host of that also used these um, with some slight modifications. So the idea is, it's just rapid fire. I'll ask you uh, question after question and... Basically, just the first thing that comes to mind or your first response is probably usually the best. Um, feel free to speak your mind because, as always, we have a, a sensor working um, for us in our post-production department. Um, so yeah, uh, feel honest. This, yeah, this is for posterity's sake. Um, if you feel like you need to elaborate on any answer, feel free, but it's not required. <laughs> and I reserve the right. If you give an answer I just completely don't expect – I may I may ask a follow-up question, but that's not part of the original 10. Okay, now that I've belabored the rule set, although, you know, being a lawyer, I hope that was that was valuable. Um we'll go ahead and get started if you're ready. Are you are you ready at this point? As ready as I'll ever be, because of course I will <laughs> absolutely overthink every aspect of it. Oh, you and me both. Don't worry. All right. Uh first question. In this moment, at this time, so don't try to overthink it, what is your favorite word? Shenanigans. Ooh, I like that one. What is your least favorite word? Oof. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, what turns you on? Earnestness. Passion. Ooh. Yeah. What turns you off? I guess the exact opposite of that, the uh, dismissiveness that folks like, oh, well, that can't be right because it can't be right. Well, why? Why? Uh, like fatalism or apathy, yeah. maybe? All right. I can see that. It drives me batty. So Number... That <laughs> Well, the, well, these answers matter, so I'm glad you take it seriously. I am, I am very passionate about this. All right, uh, number five, but we're not really counting. Um, what is your favorite sound? At the moment, it's probably a dog, like a happy dog snoring. You, know, that like Aww. subtle. Yes, it means lots of things. It means they're not causing trouble. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you know where they are at all times. and that they're happy. They're peaceful. <laughs> Yeah, no, and sleeping, it's good. It's good to get rest. And that sounds attractive at this moment. Um, number, well, wait, <laughs> what is your least favorite sound? I cannot, cannot, cannot stand uh, the sound of like people chewing or like eating. Drives me batty. Really? So, okay. Can I, at, at mealtimes, mm -hmm. do you eat with other mm -hmm. people? Yeah. Okay. And it, uh, like, if people see me like gritting my teeth, it's if it was my siblings growing up, we would probably start throwing things like, I can hear you from over here. Stop it. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Next question. What would you do? And I love this question. What would you do if you weren't doing what you're currently doing? And keep in mind, there are absolutely no restrictions, no financial, no time restrictions. This is Blue sky, what would you do? What would you attempt? What would you do instead of what you're doing right now? So if you're asking like six-year-old me, I wanted to be a like an, an actress, a dancer, performer, something that brings people joy. 
and uh, unfortunately had realized very quickly that I was graced with neither um, singing abilities, acting abilities, or dancing abilities, but I was very enthusiastic yeah. about it. But uh, in my mind, that was just, that looked like so much fun and be amazing. Uh, realistically, I'd love to be, uh, love to get my pilot's license, but both of those, uh, I think you could do both at the same time. It could be an I mean, why not? acting pilot. Why I not? Mean, both? Just, right. Right. A singing, dancing. I, I will fly the plane and provide the entertainment. You may have to fly for Southwest airlines exclusively, but yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> this could, this could happen. All right. So the, the, flip, <laughs> the flip of that, what would you never do? I mean, no matter what the compensation is, if that motivates you or whatever else, what would you just never want to do? Um, I would I would say I would go out of my mind uh, doing something that doesn't involve people, human interaction, you know, uh, the I feed off the energy around me. So, because I don't want to insult, and this is where the lawyers, I don't want to insult a job if someone loves it. Some people hate, but that, you know, in the movies, the, or stuff, you see someone have assembly line, just click, 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 doing this, 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 no, can't do it. I'm, I'm totally with you. Like I realized that I was physics originally, astrophysics, and I realized Mm -hmm. that I just kind of needed people around. Otherwise I would drive myself and everyone else around me crazy if they were ever around me that is um lovely okay so which power if you're given one or the other which would you choose to be granted power of flight or the power of invisibility well considering i'm going to be a pilot i would have and as tony stark has shown a, a good suit can get you there i think invisibility Oh, wow. So you get, you're, you're basically, I like this answer because you're not, you're choosing both in a way you're saying I've already going to have flight. So I'll take him. Would you be invisible or would everything like, this is always a classic question, right? If you're invisible, is everything you're holding invisible in your mind? I would hope so. Okay. Because otherwise it would be awfully awkward if like suddenly all of your clothes were there. But not you. Yeah. yeah. Or and, that extend to my glasses. Uh, right. And to be yeah. invisible in the nude, it just seems like a losing proposition. There's just too much that can go wrong, I feel like. I mean, I've had people say I could be invisible and I'd sneak on planes, but then someone's going to bump into you or sit on. I don't know. It just it seems. Exactly. Ah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, here's an interesting one. Almost done. What is your current, and I emphasize current, um, favorite swear word or phrase? So understanding, I love getting it so that, I mean, I can drop a good F-bomb <laughs> properly conjugated, wow. like, but I think it's funnier to, you know, the mother pucker uh <laughs> Son of a motherless goat, uh, like shut the front door, those kinds of uh, because it, it slap my mama, you know, that kind of a exactly. You know. but, but there's like, more creativity uh, there, maybe. Well, and it, it, it kind of catches people off guard, 
Because then I have to sit and think, like, did she really just, you know, she's an adult. <laughs> did she self-censor? Is she doing, is this performance art? What's going mm-hmm. on here? I like that. Yeah. But otherwise, just string together five words creatively. And uh, as my coffee bug says, I have the vocabulary of a well-educated sailor. There you go. That, that's, a, that's a very specific coffee mug. Wow. But I, I like it. Really, it really was speaking to me, or it's it it saw me. Speaks on, but yeah, you felt seen as you drink your coffee in the morning. Exactly. All right, last question, Liz, and this one is kind of esoteric in a way, and it's long because there are a lot of assumptions, and I'm like I said, I'm belaboring it now. Um, assuming that God or a deity exists, and assuming that something like uh, heaven exists, I mean, the good place, which I haven't seen. The ending of so I don't know if it actually is or not. Anyway, well, I haven't seen this last season. I haven't either. Um, assuming a place like that exists in the idealized sense, and assuming finally that you're actually going there, um, what do you want this deity or god to say when you stroll in the door? Well done. There you go. That's a hard one to answer. I think. Yeah. Well. I mean, because I mean, other than that, other than, yeah, I was surprised too. Um, <laughs> See, both those, yeah. both those are great valid answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for answering yeah. all my questions here, Liz, and uh, uh, for being a willing my participant. My pleasure. And uh, I hope you have a good rest of the year. Maybe see you, uh, um, you know, coming months, maybe South by or some other place that will be entertaining. Well, and likewise, uh, you know, I have I have a tendency to pop up in fun and odd places, so <laughs> I look forward to where the paths cross specifically. Excellent. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you for your time. This has been Mike Kaiser, and this has been the Mistaken Identity Podcast, where we are sometimes wrong, but, but never, never mistaken. mistaken.